Hey guys, welcome back to the Kind of an Expert podcast. My name is Corey Tyndall, and this week I sat down with comedian Dan Lamort. Uh, he's a really funny guy who I've known for a couple of years now, but um, if you don't know him, he used to be a pretty big guy, about 350 pounds, and over the last year and a half, he's lost about 170 pounds and is now... Um, a pretty much ultra marathoner where you're running marathons longer than the 27.2. So um, I thought it was really interesting to hear kind of how he approached losing weight, uh, the type of mindset that it took him to uh, kind of accomplish something this big and how, uh, how he really just got kind of obsessed with running. So again, I thought it was incredibly interesting. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, also, again, I really appreciate everyone liking, subscribing, sharing. Please tell a friend. Let's grow this podcast. I'm having a great time, uh, great time doing it. And the more people you get to listen, the uh, the better guests I have on. The uh, it just you know helps me out a lot. So I really appreciate it. And with that, uh, enjoy the episode. Yeah, that's uh, it's it. I wonder how many like NYU kids would just do this for experience. Like, if I put up a, a billboard or like some sort of flyer, I I guess my worry with that is like they would do like two episodes, decide they don't want to do it anymore, and then just kind of fuck off, and then I'm <laughs> then I'm screwed. Yeah, then you're just stuck <laughs> doing it all yourself. Yeah, uh, my I used to do an MMA podcast with uh, Diego Lopez and Luke Tuma, two other comedians. Okay. And, our audio guy is uh, who's also he's a stand up now. His name is Austin. We used to record in his NYU dorm room. He was nice enough to let us use his dorm room. Wow. Not only was he editing our audio, we were recording in his dorm room. And then one day we had on a guest and the guest brought us presents. And for me, <laughs> he gave me a box filled with booze edibles and fireworks that's a good and present he gave that to me in a college dorm room and the nyu kid was so nervous about losing like <laughs> his you know his residential staying that he was like we can't record here anymore that's insane you guys have fireworks and drugs <laughs> oh man this wait what kind of was he he was he a freshman? I, I just can't picture a senior freaking out about that. Yeah, yeah. Austin was a freshman at that time. He had just moved to New York from L.A., so it was like his first move away from home. It was his, <laughs> his, his, like his fresh start, you know, and I was like, how about we bring drugs and liquor into your dorm room? Yep. He was he was. And we were 100%. recording it, and we were videoing it, so it, it was out there. Oh, yeah. That that makes sense. I, I mean, I, I'm sure he was 100% sure that was going to be the start of his slippery slope into drug addiction, was you guys <laughs> and this box of, of fireworks That's and That's the booze. way it should be. That's how every comic should get it. Every comic should have some crazy introduction. You know, I think I did a Laughing Buddha showcase at the stand and walked in on someone doing a coke in the bathroom and i was like i'm a comic now you know <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> i was about to say awesome. the exact name of the person i saw too and i was like wait i'm on a podcast i'm on a podcast i can uh for the right i'll bleep whatever name you don't want me to you don't want me to say so if one slips out don't don't worry about it i'm not uh i'm not a professional audio engineer but i'm good enough to cover my tracks is uh, uh i feel like anyone's okay with shitting on laughing buddha though they they get the, oh, they yeah. get the uh, the thumbs up to just hit them hard 
Yeah, that was uh, I had I had Devin Keast on my podcast probably uh, like eight or nine episodes ago. We we had a large uh, chunk of it be about laughing Buddha and and how everyone hates him. So uh, this podcast is is out as not necessarily anti laughing Buddha, but we're not we're not telling anyone that everyone loves laughing buddha or anything like that oh okay i just yeah. don't want to i definitely walked in at my first bringer show at the stand to the bathroom and saw jeff Lawrence just doing a line of coke <laughs> in the stands bathroom and i was like ah oh, this is comedy baby <laughs> I was oh, like, this, this must be what it's about <laughs> i think that's just jeff Lawrence. i don't know if that's comedy <laughs> From no, what I've heard. That's what I learned, you know. <laughs> I've learned that the coke in comedy is actually just coke heads doing comedy and not a comedy thing. Yeah, that's that's actually a great way to put it. I like as far as drugs go, I really don't know too many uh comics that are on like super hard drugs. Like I I know there's a lot of psychedelics going on, but it's like I don't really I guess I don't really consider those hard drugs. I just don't know many that do a lot of coke or anything uh kind of heavier than that i think you just have to start hanging out later maybe <laughs> maybe i'm just yeah maybe the i'm just break invited. out the coke after 2 a.m <laughs> that's when you start seeing it more and you're like you do this yeah i guess that makes sense um yeah. no no i agree though i think it used to be more prominent i think like maybe like 80s comedy store at los angeles you know when you have sam kinnison he was probably responsible for most of the coke done by comics at a point yeah yeah well i guess also comedians just don't make money anymore so how are they gonna buy coke you know <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that's like, true the people... honestly anytime i see a comedian doing drugs i just assume someone gave it to them after a show yeah I mean, yeah, <laughs> I've I've got some stories I could tell you after uh, we were done recording because those names I don't I don't want to go out there. But yeah, the only people I know that do uh, like hard drugs are like lawyers and finance guys. So I mean, that is true. Yeah, there's not much overlap between comedians and lawyers just from uh yeah and, and for some reason people think comedians do part i remember one time doing a show in san diego and after the show a guy came up to me and like dat me up and he slid something into my hand and he's like you ready to party tonight and i was like always dude what is it <laughs> and he's like that's san diego's finest ketamine wow and i was like i think you don't know my stand-up <laughs> i was like i'm not the ketamine comic man i'm the stoned comic yeah yeah, I don't know. I've uh, I've I've got no review of ketamine. I've never. Uh... He was a teacher too. He was a teacher in San Diego, and he was giving me ketamine. So wow. who knows what the San Diego school system's like? Yeah, I was gonna say I wish I went there. That would have been cool. All my, my my high school was all stuffy. Nobody nobody did anything besides drink, and even then it was like not much. Really, there wasn't much drug use in your high school. No, not not really. I like I went to. Uh, I went to a decent public high school, so it was kind of like, like a lot of people went to like higher level colleges, and so they were kind of like, and our our district was, our city was super strict, so we like you know how you have MIPs like minor in possession, uh, if you got booze, um, our city it was just like this tiny little suburb had MIAs. So if you were at a party with alcohol, even if you weren't drinking, the punishment was just as bad as if you actually were drinking. So it was like you either wow. completely stayed away from it or you got hammered because if you got caught, you were fucked anyway. So it, it kind of it kind of uh, did the job both ways. Yeah, that's pretty intense. My, I went to a Catholic high school, so I feel like you know, people's parents had the money floating around for them to be doing drugs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know possible. I used to sell Adderall to students. I would 
I would get I would buy like cases of pens that had hollow insides and then I would take out the ink thing and then I would just fill the inside with pills and then I would sell those pens to other students. So it looked like I was just giving them a pen, but I was actually selling them Adderall. Damn. That's creative as fuck. That's my favorite yeah. part about hearing about drug use is how they smuggle it into places. I love that. Like Creativity, I, yeah. I've got a buddy who like, um, he had like this hair brush and he like hollowed out the handle of it and he'd like keep all his drugs in there so we'd go to music festivals with this hairbrush and then you know the people are inspecting you there and he would like they'd look at the hairbrush and go like oh okay whatever and meanwhile he's got just like a ton of drugs in there it was pretty, that's amazing it was pretty yeah, awesome. when, when i started getting into molly which was my freshman year of college i was a baseball player and we would take the we i went to school in east rutherford new jersey so it was like a maybe not even a 30 minute train ride into the city and we would come to concerts and music festivals in the city and do molly and whatnot and we had a kid on the team who used to get you know probably some of the best molly i've ever done but he would uh get they i think it's uh trident makes individually packages pieces of gum Hmm. and he would buy that open up the gum put the pill and reseal the gum put it back in the pack so it just looked like an individually sealed pack of gum and then inside was actually all the capsules that's smart as hell yeah, like resealing potato chip bags. Like I never realized how easy it was to reseal things until I started doing drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, I've never thought about that. What's I mean, what's that phrase is like nobody's more creative than a stoner who doesn't have anything to smoke out of. It's like Exactly. You just yeah, make like a gravity the, bong out of an apple juice container and uh and a can of soda. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a joke of mine that I've actually heard stolen a few times, but I was like, I remember seeing, I, I remember the first time a kid turned uh, a Gatorade bottle into a bong more than my first kiss, which was, it was a joke, that, <laughs> a simple joke, but I actually saw that format stolen quite a few times. I remember insert something here more than my first kiss. It actually became like a thing I saw on Twitter. Oh, nice. That's, that's interesting. How does that, like, how do you kind of deal with that? Because you've got a lot of Twitter followers and you've gone viral a couple times like when people start stealing your shit like you'll see it on like the meme pages on uh, Instagram where they'll just blatantly like block out the comic's name and put their tweet up like it it, it hasn't ever happened to me but I've always kind of gone back and forth on whether it'd be kind of cool or like in, in, in one way it's recognition that your joke was funny and the other way it's like hey fuck you that, that that's from me I don't know. Exactly. I feel like I'm in the middle of that. Like, I, I remember seeing comics, like, absolutely lose their mind and, like, they'll spend the next week tweeting at that account, like, how dare you steal this stuff. For me, it's kind of just like, okay, that happened, but uh, I'm pretty uh, realistic with the idea that wh whoever is running those type of meme pages, this is what they do. They knowingly do it. Yeah. So chances are they're not going to give you the credit, so it's kind of just, like, acceptance. I mean, there's sometimes, like... If I notice they'll block out my name or something, I'll report it, say they stole it, do whatever I can. Hmm. But I don't care too much. You know, I mean, a lot of times I'll see someone post a tweet and then not tag me in it. The thing that I find interesting that, that I get a laugh out of the most is um, there was a joke I'd written a few years ago. It actually just started making the rounds again on meme pages this week. I saw actually my I just got off my online therapy session and my therapist told me one of her Facebook friends had posted this joke today. <laughs> it was, uh, it's just, uh, I think I, I wrote the joke. Um, we started giving my dog organic CBD oil with the hopes that it would chill him out. And now he just wakes up every morning listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. It was probably the most viral tweet I've ever done and one that still goes around. But I was telling that on stage, I would say maybe up until right before the pandemic hit, 
And uh, that joke had gone so viral that there would be certain times I would tell that joke in the city and then someone in the crowd would say, hey, you stole that. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, you have to go back and look. That's actually my joke. You just didn't know who I am because I'm not a famous comic. So when you saw that joke, you didn't know it was me. And then like, there were a few times where I had people in the audience pull the joke back up and be like, oh, shit, it is actually you. You're Dan Lamort. <laughs> wow. That would be the feeling of that would be worth all the meme pages stealing it, I think. Just the, that, the for inevitable sure. I remember Jabuki, <laughs> who's a very famous young comic, had yeah. a similar story where he had viral jokes where people would accuse him of stealing. He's like, no, those are actually my jokes. And I always thought it was so funny until it started happening to me. And I was like, this is actually pretty annoying because it takes time out of your sets where now this audience member is going to go on their phone now. They're going to Google if it was you, but then you get that feeling of pride and you're like, see, I told you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and especially like if you're going up at the, at the cellar or like a, a real timed spot that that could be a huge chunk of time as opposed to like you headlining shows, I'd assume like nobody, it, it'd be worth the five minutes to get the, the laugh on that. Right. Oh, for like, sure. I mean, God knows when I'm doing 45, especially now when I'm headlining, which is I've only done one headlining set post COVID. Yeah. I mean, or not even post COVID, I guess during COVID we are. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I'll do anything to eat time at this point. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to ask about that because, uh, so you went there. I'm I'm good friends with uh, Jesse Townsend. He's actually done this mm -hmm. podcast three times, and he was like, "Oh my god, it was so fun!" Like I got to go out there, and now he's in South Carolina trying to like scrape as many uh, shows as he can. I just like from at least from your perspective, like how was it? It was outside, right? Like it was a, a full hour long show outside, and you you really hadn't had that much practice in the pandemic, right? Yeah, I mean, I only had the park sets, you know, I had the 10 minutes here on a park, park 10 minutes in this park, 15 minutes on a roof here or there. I think the most, the longest set I had done was on someone's front stoop in Brooklyn. They let me do 15 minutes on a show they were running and that was just on a stoop. This was at a venue in Philly called The Grape Room, which is a venue I would do every year on tour and uh, I noticed they were doing outdoor shows, only 30 seats and I was like, you know what? They could use the help. I could use money. They could use people being there. So why not try to set something up? And uh, me and my girlfriend went down there with Jesse. And we had a good time, man. It was fun. I, I told Jesse to light me at 25 and then light me again at 30. And I ended up doing 45, I think, which was more than I was anticipating. I went yeah. on stage with, a, I would say, two sheets of notes and then three notebooks just in case because I had no, I, I really didn't know what to do. You know, I, I hadn't put together a long set like that in so long. It, It's just such a new game right now, comedy. It just feels like you're kind of starting over again. And for me, it's even more of that because, you know, I, I had this weight loss where I've lost yeah. 170 pounds. So it's like I am doing stand-up as a new person in a new kind of reality. So for me, it, it honestly feels brand new. Every set feels kind of new for me. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to ask about later cuz just like I mean, you take 4 months off from doing that kind of time and you're you're immediately going to go up there and you're going to be nervous as hell and then like it's nerves got, it, are unreal, man. I've had more nerves for uh comedy again than uh, I'm more nervous now than I was I remember my first year of comedy. I think because when you're so new Maybe you have that false confidence. Yeah, and then you're kind of the stupid. last year before the pandemic, <laughs> I, it was really a humbling year for me where I, I was little. I would say the year before the pandemic was the least confident year I've ever had in comedy uh, where I just had really no confidence, which was good. I mean, it's good to not have confidence. It makes you work harder. Yeah. And then now the pandemic, you know, happened. And I was like, all right, now I'm in this weird mood where I was kind of relearning how to do stand up. 
and now it's like a second relearning. It's like, all right, you had to relearn as a skinny person. Now relearn in a pandemic, which everyone has to do. Every comic is doing pandemic yeah. stand up. But it's like I had that extra thing on top of that. Yeah, no, that's so let's uh, I kind of want to back up a little bit. So like essentially for for the audience, like I've I've obviously seen your your post and whatnot, um, but like you lost almost 200 pounds since like the pandemic started, right? Uh, I mean, so it's kind of interesting because the weight loss started two years ago. Okay. But, um, the, the most noticeable changes I'd say have been since the pandemic, you know, the past eight months when I've kind of, when comedy went away, I really did do my, I kind of made real steps to transition into what I think the, the correct term would be an ultra endurance athlete. Okay. Uh, that is what I consider myself for right. the ultra endurance. And I transitioned into that during the pandemic. So like I'd already lost probably 130 pounds leading up to that. And then I've probably lost about an additional 40 in the pandemic. Wow. Just, I don't really know how much my body has left to lose if we're being realistic. <laughs> well, that was, I've, um, that was what I was going to say is like those last 40 are the, the harder ones <laughs> that, I mean, it's, uh, right when you start losing weight, it's a little bit, it's a little bit easier. And then as soon as you get closer and closer to your goal weight, your body's like, no, we got to hang on to this stuff. Like I, um, I think my, uh, the summer between my junior and senior year of college going into my senior year, I ended up losing like 50 pounds. And that's what it was like. The first 25 were, super quick i lost those in like two and a half months and then those next uh those next 15 to 20 were just like brutal it took so much more exercise and so much like so much more of a different diet to actually get those off so yeah for sure man it really is because your body gets to a point where it just i don't know if it doesn't want to lose anymore if it gets used to it but like i'm running 60 mile weeks usually yeah i mean now it's Although who it's a little in the, I'm in a, I actually I'm injured at the moment. I got hurt two days ago. Uh, so that's kind of throwing a wrench. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have a broken foot as we speak. Oh, I man. fell off a trail and took a good fall. Uh, yeah. Jesus. Trail running's brutal, man. Trail running. Like anytime I'm on the trail running and I'm talking like, you know, trail running for me is it's dangerous. I would, I would, that, that's why I classify trail running as that means the ground is roots, right? Trees, stumps and rocks usually a lot of elevation gain so you're you're running up hills down hills kind of like kind of i call yeah. them mini mountains almost yeah and uh anytime you're trail running i run stoned which i'm sure we'll talk about i mean i talk about nonstop. you you think a lot and i i was running the other day i was really high in an edible and i was like i wonder if i fell right now if i'd even fall it if i'd even feel it and then i <laughs> fell the next step i mean i'm not lying dude i've taken five falls so far as a trail runner well did you feel Three it? fall on all five falls i have thought am i about to fall and then fall and then, yeah i felt it pretty badly that <laughs> i mean i still ran 14 miles after i fell oh man. and i didn't think anything of it i thought my hip took the brunt of it and then i woke up yesterday and I was like, it doesn't hurt too much. So I ran seven miles. And then I took the shoes off after the seven miles yesterday. And my right foot is destroyed. I mean, it's purple, swollen. And I've broken this foot before. So I have a pretty solid idea that it's probably, you know, there's so many bones in the feet that it's pretty easy to break a foot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's insane. First off, that's got to be the weed, right? Like, I don't, I guess I, I don't like running high that's like when i get high i'm i'm very much like all right if i'm high i'm sitting in the couch which is why like if i get high it's always at night i don't like smoking during the day but you're you are the exact opposite of 
me and that you're like, oh, I'm going to get high and then I'm going to run further than anyone else right now. Like, I'm just going to keep on For going. For sure. I like, mean, I definitely do take some pride in breaking that lazy stoner stigma. I, I was always... I, I don't know if it was because I was... When you're really three, when you're 350 pounds and a stoner, it it's easy for people to come at you for that weed. You know, it's yeah. easy for people to attack you for being a stoner and you're 350 pounds because you look disgusting, you sound unhealthy, you look unhealthy, and you're smoking. And right. then I was like, I don't want that, you know. And then I don't really think weed is what's making me that. So then I started using cannabis, kind of instead of being a couch lock as a propeller, you know, instead of smoking and sitting, I'd smoke on the way to a trail and then I'd walk the trail, run the trail or hike or, you know, so and behold, edibles running is brand new for me. This was the first week where I've run on strong edibles and naturally the first run I have on strong edibles, I break my foot. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a good endorsement for edibles (laughs) for being that high. Yeah. You probably, uh, probably start losing a little bit of motor function the higher you get. Uh, which I would say, you know, yeah, <laughs> I noticed it. I noticed it on this run where my motor skills were a lit, not even that they were off, but I just felt like I was one step behind, which on a trail run is not always the best because that one step could actually be a stone or a root. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't start with trail running. Trail running was something I worked up to. I kind of just started as uh, just walking around the block. Well, I mean, I set out one day to run around the block and it sucked. I didn't make it. And I don't even know if I was doing it stoned at that point. I think I really gave running a, a chance to because I knew that's kind of the best way to lose weight. And I was like, I'm not really enjoying this. So then I used weed as like, I would say, a treat. Oh, okay. Like I wake up every morning and I have that joint rolled, but I know on the other burnt end of that joint is going to be a 10 mile run at least, usually longer. Uh, so it, it kind of became this thing and then I'd have a joint after the run. So it'd be like a, if I got to the end of the run, I had another joint waiting. So it became kind of like a, a reward system. Like, what is it? Pavlov's dog or whatever? Uh <laughs> yeah, some something like that. I don't know. I have a psychology degree. I can't fucking remember uh, <laughs> what he did. Really? I was uh, when I was in college. I was a religious studies and a psychology major. Nice. I think. And I think that, now I'm a depressed atheist. So. <laughs> yeah. Aren't, I mean, aren't we all? I think that's. Uh, I think. Uh, I think the psychology kids kind of gravitate towards comedy because it really is. It's very analytical. Like you're. It's analytical, but it's also like recognizing other people's emotions and just people that are good at psychology I think are good at kind of reading the crowd like figuring out what they like and what they don't like and where you should go with a certain thing based off like how it'll make people uh, react I really just mean like kind of I think comics have high emotional intelligence and I also think people that are attracted I to agree. psychology I think it boils down to empathy do. I mean psychologists are some of the most empathetic people and comedians weirdly are very empathetic because to relate to an entire audience you kind of have to put yourself in their shoes yeah so I feel like comics have quite a bit of empathy which I think also is what leads us into a world of mental health issues but then on the flip side, you have therapists and therapists are often in therapy themselves. When people say comics oh, yeah. are the most depressed people, I'm like, no, empathetic people, I think, are the most depressed people. Because anyone who could put themselves in people's shoes, they're having a really tough time right now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone I mean, who's empathetic is struggling with the world right now, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I've from at least my experience, which granted isn't that long, but like the the happiest people that I've found are the ones who are complete and utter narcissists because they just like <laughs> they, they don't care about anyone else besides themselves. So if they feel like they're killing it, then they're like, cool. Well, then everything in the world is right. Um, 
but uh that was a little i get that little little side tangent there so i want to like uh i want to learn more about the um your kind of thought process while you're running high because obviously like i've seen your your post and i was like man maybe i should give that a shot maybe i'd like it um but it's really like even if i get a type of weed that's very heady it doesn't really affect my body at all i just kind of like i just lose motivation while i'm high so like when you're when you're running high like what is kind of your mental state when you're running does it kind of like uh help you not focus on the run or does it help you really focus on the run and you enjoy that or like i don't i don't know if this what is I even tell explainable people, the biggest benefit for marijuana and running what i think is you know the, the classic thing of weed is a lot of people say weed makes them more anxious i think they just haven't hit through that wall yet whereas in reality weed does help with anxiety Weed can cool your anxiety. Now, a lot of running, it's the 40% rule, which, I mean, David Goggins, I'd have to credit as the creator of it, but it's been passed down quite a bit since he created this a few years ago. It's scientifically, I believe it it is actually proven amongst uh, people who study athletes that the body, when, when your mind tells you, like you're out running, right? Say you've run a few laps around your block and your body's telling you you're tired and you're done. That's your mind. That's anxiety worrying about what's going to happen if I stay out here. Am I going to run out of water? Am I going to get hurt? Your right. anxiety's cooking. You, when you're, what I've learned is, and this is what Goggins taught me, is when, when you're at that end, when you feel like you can't go any further, you're actually at 40% expended. Your body has put out 40%. You got at least 60% left in the tank. But that doesn't have anything to do with weed. That's just that side note. Weed, like I said, helps with anxiety so if, if running's anxiety a lot of the reasons people don't run long is they're anxious about what happens if they actually run long hmm. so you cure that anxiety you're running without anxiety you're not thinking about the run i could take my head to other places but for it's a lot deeper than that i mean when when you get into the ultra endurance levels like on november 1st i'm running a 50 mile i'm running 50 miles around a quarter mile Holy track so that's 200 loops around a track I mean, when you do something like that it we eventually goes out the window you know it doesn't matter how high you are there's a lot of other things you need to develop in your brain and your mind to to get you there uh to get you through the pain because the pain is very real you know it hurts that's what i try to tell people you know i don't i love running but i'm not saying it's fun there are times it hurts when you're out there for that long uh my to i don't know i mean my head goes to so many different places man like to like to think about one mental state i think in the course of a full run you know say i'm out there for you know, some of my training runs could be anywhere from two hours to, to four plus hours. Sometimes on the shorter end, I'll go for an hour, sometimes less. But uh, I'm usually in that two plus hour mark. There's a lot of different mental states that come up. You know, there's things I, I try to work on my mental health while I'm running. Sometimes I'll turn off the headphones hmm. and I'll just run with my thoughts and I'll, I'll bring up some like I uh, some of my mental issues I'll bring up. But then another big thing that that my therapist thinks might contribute to my running is this year I learned that I very possibly am an adult who went, you know, 25 years of his life not getting diagnosed as autistic. Oh, wow. And um, and am now, you know, dealing with that ASD. It's called uh, Autism Spectrum Disorder, formerly known as Asperger's. Okay. So there's actually a lot of studies that uh, autistic people and what, what running and autism could, could work hand in hand. You know, our famous one, Forrest Gump. yeah yeah i mean (laughs) i never would have put that together but there's something about uh autism and running that it actually stimulates you in a way like i feel 
most comfortable in the world, I would say, when I'm running. I feel pretty free and moving, and I feel like my mind works a bit better than it, or at least it's working in a way that feels normal, whereas in my regular day life, I don't feel like I usually think along the same consciousness as others. Huh, okay. Running, I feel like I am. Because running, it, it's pretty much left foot in front of the right foot and nothing else. It's keep moving until you can't move. Right. A lot of my Asperger's is uh, I, I struggle communicating properly or um, change is really tough for me or like uh, just everyday life could be tough. Just like even making phone calls or doing podcasts, a lot of stuff is really tough for me. So uh, running on the flip side, it doesn't feel tough. So I think that has a lot to do with it too. Interesting. Well, I appreciate you you doing this podcast and, and talking about it. Um, if like, oh, of course, especially if it is uh, a little more stressful. But this is just this is so interesting uh, to me. Just like the the mindset that takes you in there. So, what something that stuck out to me is like you said you you don't really like change too much but like this was a pretty major lifestyle change that led to this so like was there something that you kind of like that like a switch happened and you were like i have to uh i have to change this or was it really just like a very gradual thing that kind of popped oh, in no, your there head there was definitely a shift there was definitely a shift i mean i i when I was 23, I was 354 pounds at my heaviest, and uh, I was at a gastro doctor who was also a family member of mine. And I was sick. I was the day after Thanksgiving. I was hospitalized because my stomach was killing me, and a, a pain that I'd never wow. had before. I thought my appendix had burst, and I was in the hospital. And this doctor pushed the right side of me, so actually where my liver was, and I started crying in pain. I mean, I'd never. I saw like a flash of light, and it turned out I you know, 23 years old, already had a liver that had become so fatty that it was nearly on the surface that when he pushed it on my stomach, he was pushing directly into my liver. Wow. So like, that's how fatty my liver had got. And then I went to see a gastro who was my uncle. Like I said, this was after the hospital visit. That was the next week was my follow-up. And he basically said, listen, man, you're 23. You're well on your way to fatty liver disease. He said, you got to lose 20% of your body weight to even be considered healthy and to really start getting your body in track. And he's like, I also think you have celiac disease. He's like, you have these rashes on your elbows. You have, you know, these other symptoms that I won't get as into because they're disgusting and graphic. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I think you're allergic to gluten. And uh, he did the test and the test came back inconclusive because a lot of times people with celiac disease do not test positive for celiac until later in their life or hmm. they could have a few false tests. But I knew the type of person I was that if I had just convinced myself that, you know, he said it was inconclusive. But when he said that, I said, no, I have celiac disease. That's how I heard it. Because I knew huh. if I heard that from a doctor, I would commit to the changes because I medically had to. Right. So I just started living the next two years as if I was a devout celiac and uh, gave up gluten. And um, that was, I would say, the button that kind of spun it out. You know, that was what started the weight loss. Um, it started gradually. I was in L.A. doing uh, like a month of shows and work out there. My buddy started bringing me on some like hiking trails. So we weren't running. We were just walking up these inclines and then the apartment I was staying at in LA had a gym in the complex so I started lifting again in that gym so I actually credit that month in LA more than anything else because I started walking hiking lifting again and mostly it was just the change of scenery <clears throat> right. I think the change of scenery was so important to me that it helped click my mindset 
And then, you know, you have the doctors telling you that you're 23 fatty liver disease. At that point, I was four years removed from a baseball scholarship. You know, I was a college baseball player before right. comedy. So it, you kind of just have this moment where you're like looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, what the fuck, man? You're like, you're 350 pounds. You used to be a college athlete. You were 190 pounds when you started stand up. You're like, it, it kind of becomes that look in the mirror. Where you're like, it's no longer you're the fun fat guy. It's the, oh shit, you might be on a pretty dangerous path right now. This might actually be going down to death. You know, you're actually, you're talking fatty delivered disease in your early twenties. Who knows what that does for the rest of your life. And Everywhere I went, comics would make the same jokes. Ah, you know, Dan Lamord's going to be dead by before he's 30, all this shit. Like, I heard dead before 30 as if that was a hacky joke made to me. And it, one day, I kind of just, I was like, you know, I, I'm 23. That's seven years to 30. I hear this joke enough. I don't want to actually be dead at 30. So let me right. make some fucking changes now. And it was pretty, it was like it all kind of just clicked eventually because the thing about being a college athlete is it's all encompassing when you're a college baseball player you know sure you have to go to class but there's games there's practices you usually lift once or twice a day mm -hmm. and then once that's gone that structure is eliminated and i went right yeah. into stand-up and no one forces you to work out and stand up so once i started running again and actually getting good at it, it i started once you feel that competitive edge again it was great yeah yeah no i'm i'm glad you brought that up because that was something that um, really like in the, the weight loss that, that I had, which is, you know, a third of what you did, but it was really like the, the way that I had done it. And I had always had, um, I've talked about this in episode three I did with Chris Ryder about growing up fat. I was never that fat growing up, but I thought I was. And there was just like, I always had low self-esteem around my body because I, I felt like I was fat and I had like when I was in I think middle school so I was like 12 uh, my dad uh, beginning of October was like all right between now and Christmas for every pound that you lose I'm gonna give you ten dollars and I was like <laughs> fuck yeah this is gonna be awesome like I'm gonna make so much money and like in retrospect no 12 year old is ever losing weight like you're putting on no. so much body mass but I ended up gaining weight in that time and it just like completely <laughs> completely I was I was like well i guess i'm fat forever like this is just yeah, how you this kind of goes your father actually he <laughs> collected money from you we've we've joked about that now that i owe him some money since <laughs> i owe him i owe him like 50 bucks since i gained like five pounds but uh and and we're we're good about that like i said i've i've said that on this podcast before but like even since then i'd always been i'd always had low self-esteem i'd always tried to lose weight um and uh, the thing that really got it for me is that that summer after uh, senior or junior year, going into senior year, I had two kind of things happen where the first one was I got rejected by a girl that I really liked. And I was kind of like, oh, fuck, I need to make some changes if I want to like date a girl Classic who's like this. start to a weight loss. I know, right? And then uh, the second, I think the biggest thing is that I just started filling up my day. It was like I went from, you know, uh, like I'd wake up in my college house, I'd go to class, so it'd be like three hours of class, and I'd go home and I would just like play video games with my roommates. And it was just like, it was the same thing, and it's just so easy to be sitting in the living room with your Xbox controller just like snacking on chips, and then like, oh, it's dinner time, I guess I'll have that. Oh, that was good, I better have seconds. And then like, so in that summer, I like started going to the gym, and even though I was only doing like 10 miles on the bike, 
that still took up an extra half hour and then it was like another half hour uh to like shower and go home and then uh i actually got a job that i enjoyed so i did it like six days a week so i went from just a ton of free time to almost no free time and it turns out like if i don't have time to eat i'm fine i don't get hungry i i really get hungry when i'm bored as fuck so it's oh yeah it's interesting that you bring that up because like filling up your day when you're playing baseball is easy because it's like you've got a regimented schedule and you have to go do this and so it's like all right i got 20 minutes to eat so i'll eat just like a bunch of stuff but you never just sitting there snacking i don't know that was uh, yeah well that's why like well, so many people gain weight when they go to college because yeah there is more free time in college than high school high school you still have your parents around when though when those parents are gone you find yourself being like i could buy all the candy now and it's still a huge trauma of mine. I'm not going to lie. My diet sucks, man. I mean, I am still worried about what I eat. I eat I eat an unhealthy amount of candy and then some. Like a really gaudy amount of candy I eat on a daily basis. Well, you're burning and it off. I, yeah, I mean, I burn it off, which is fine. But there's part of me now who's like, I'll pro- I'd probably have abs at this point if I didn't eat. Like last night, for instance, I, I probably ate. Let's see. I had Starburst, Reese's, a Rice Krispie treat, and an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> yeah, but it's almost and Halloween, so. Yeah, it's almost. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's not a rare thing for me, and it's like I. That's the dangerous. I'm in that dangerous moment right now where I'm working out enough to justify still eating like a sack of shit. <laughs> but if that working out goes away, then it's just that sack of shit diet that's still there. So it's like. Yeah. What it's like. I think Goggin says it, but everyone says it. it's fucking, that's the thing about life, man. It's just, no one tells you that when you're a kid, that it's just every day. Yeah. Yeah. It never I have stops. to wake up tomorrow and still be this person trying to combat because I don't go through life thinking I look the way I do yet. I mean, I, when I'm out in public and I see someone staring at me, I still think they're staring at a 350 pound person. Yeah. I still go about my life as if I'm 350 pounds. I'm still incredibly shy and awkward at, at points because of that. And, and in comedy, I, that's the fun thing about comedy. I was never shy or uncomfortable that much in comedy. Oh no, yeah. You always seemed uh, very like, uh, I guess confidence, the word, um, I don't know, like everything that you're saying now is so interesting to me because it's not how I perceived you uh, just like running into you at the clubs. Well, you know what it come down to, which what I figured out, like why someone with Asperger's could be that personable at the club. And it would be like because Asperger's, you know, you find the things to latch on to. So my whole childhood, right, there was a I went through phases. There was a phase in my childhood where I wanted to be a clown. I bought a clown costume. All my toys were clowns. I would become obsessed with clowns, go to the circus. Then it went to rapping. I got really into rapping, started writing rap songs, you know, would just dressing like a rapper, bought necklaces, <laughs> do rags, which is problematic now. That's a, but that's but like a good my look whole for the tra- 90s. There were all these different phases, you know, and it, and it, and it's not just a phase for me. It was always this thing where I'd get really, really into it and learn everything about it. Yeah. And I'd want to talk about nothing but the thing that I'm obsessed with, which is a lot of Asperger's. Some with Asperger's could talk about something they love forever. So when I'd be in front of a comedy club talking shop, there would be this thing in my head. I'd be like, why am I doing this? I don't like this. I don't like talking. But then it's because I was talking comedy. 
comedy was an Asperger's obsession with mine. You know, the only way to get good at comedy is to get obsessed with it. Right. And luckily, I'm good at becoming obsessed with things. And like, that's the same way why I could rattle you off the name of 100 trail runners and ultra runners already. I've been an ultra runner for less than a year. I could name you different races across the entire world. I know races in Switzerland now. I know races in Germany, races in Iceland, you know? Yeah. I get obsessed with things, and that's why I was always able... Like, sometimes when comics here, I'm autistic. Some of them actually... The, the reason I started learning about it was because a comic that I very much um, trusted as a friend pulled me aside one time and she was telling me about how she has a brother who has Asperger's and she saw a lot of the same qualities in him that she sees in me. So she brought it up to me and asked me if I'd ever talked about it, this and that. Hmm. And uh, so it's kind of funny. A comic is the reason I noticed it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So do you think the like the obsession with comedy has kind of transferred over to not only like you learning about uh ultra marathons but like you doing it like when you're in the middle of a 40 mile run like are you still is it the same feeling as talking shop outside of the club where you're like boy i don't really like running but also i'm obsessed with it so i'm just gonna keep going hmm i don't know you know that's the thing with running it's like when you're at those long distances at that point it's like there's a lot of different the why is the big question why are you doing yeah. it yeah oh that's and why i don't do me, it <laughs> yeah yeah for me the why right now with running is a lot deeper than just that it's more at this point like proving maybe something to myself okay uh, but all some absurd i don't know what you know what it is right if we're being honest that the ultra running is it's enlightenment for me. I'm trying to find something more that I would watch these videos, these documentaries of ultra running. And there'd be these people, whether they were at the top of the sport or just, you know, your regular run of the mill ultra runner who, when they were crossing the finish line of these 50 mile races, these hundred mile races, sometimes 200 mile races, I would see these people who are some of the toughest motherfuckers in the world crying. Yeah. They would hit that finish line and they would be weeping tears of joy they would be talking about these feelings that they had that they just couldn't really put into words. And when I saw that, it just clicked in my head that I don't know what I'm looking for, but I do know some of the answers are going to be on the other side of this pain. Huh. Inter that's a that's an interesting way to... I mean, I don't think I've ever run far enough to even consider that to be something that I could be chasing. I mean, I guess bringing it back to comedy is that like is that kind of chasing the same feeling in your mind of like you know crushing a room with four or five hundred people in it where you just like get this extreme high like this extreme uh, feeling of acceptance um where everyone is like on your team or is it kind of a, a well that's actually what thing. i wanted to avoid with this goal because i didn't want the acceptance because what i learned from comedy is that you know, you could get that room full of acceptance, which does give you a high, but you still have to go home at night. And if yeah. that acceptance is all that was boosting you and you're not happy with yourself, then when you lay in bed, it doesn't matter how many people laughed at you, you're still that same person. Whereas with this ultra running, this this idea of trying to find enlightenment for me, which it doesn't always, it's not only ultra running, you know, I'm trying to get into mushrooms i'm you know reading more spirit listen to more spiritual people you know mm -hmm. trying to find gurus i've started reading ram das you know all these things to kind of just find uh something else out there maybe but uh 
it's the opposite of that because when I, if I go do this 50 mile race on November 1st and I succeed, it doesn't matter how many people are there cheering me on. When I, when I lay in bed that night, you know, I'm quite content with myself. I'll know that. Gotcha. That makes sense. So can you like, Although who knows? Maybe I won't be, maybe I'll find that out that when I, when I cross the finish line of that last mile, Maybe I'll find out that I actually, this, this wasn't what I needed, you know, and then that's on to the next thing because <laughs> yeah. it comes back to just life being every day. I mean, I just want, at this point in my life, you know, I'm, tw- I'm going to turn 26 this year. I've just learned that 25 is this year where they say neuroplasticity of the brain kind of becomes harder. We're like shaping your brain becomes harder. Right. So I'm just doing all I can to put myself in a good position to keep growing as an individual. I feel like the more I grow as a human, the better I could make the lives of those around me as a person, like I could become a better person. So I'm just trying to do that. Like uh, I used to be so obsessed with comedy and comedy goals and late night sets. And then I think the pandemic put a lot of that into perspective for me. I mean, becoming obsessed with running was one thing. I became too obsessed at a point where I was taking time away from comedy and it's it's all about finding balance. Right. But I kind of like that. You know, it's... Uh, I'm just trying to just learn new things and not only about running, but about myself. And that's what running does. Running really helps me learn. Nothing holds up a mirror to yourself better than being with your own thoughts for that many hours a day, every day. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, that's, I mean, it goes back to that 40% thing you were talking about is like, uh, you're alone with your thoughts. Your body's telling you you should stop is like, can you keep going? And that's really what feels good when you're done is like, exactly because there's no one there cheering you on to keep going. So if you do keep going, the only person who reaps that reward is you, that reward's just for you. Right. So it's great because there is nothing external to running, you know? And what I love about it is, I'm never going to be as good at running as the career I've had in stand-up already. You know, I'm never going to be a professional runner, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'll get sponsorships here and there, but that's simply because I have a following. But, like, fast-wise, I'm not that fast. So it's like it's this thing that I kind of just do. Although, you know, I I realized this recently, something that drew me to it. Stand-up, there's no rhyme or reason to progression. There are people who aren't funny who will get a TV set a year in. There are people who are geniuses who might never get a TV set. Running, if you put in the time, you put in the effort, there are results. You get faster. You get quicker. You could go further. Right. With comedy, you know, sometimes the work you put in doesn't always have a result. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it. So do you, like, going forward, are you kind of like all right i have to balance in my mind uh like something where because both of these are interesting in that it's it's you against your yourself like comedy's the the same way like you're essentially competing with yourself to get more laughs every single time you go on stage so are you going in there as like uh or at least going forward are you like all right i have this thing that i do where there's like actual results that i can look at like i can look at the app and say i've improved this much and at the same time you're also having this hobby over here that's a little uh more uh loose like there's not hard results to it or do you did you find that you pretty much you like the results better does that make sense? I like what they do to each other. I don't okay. like, you know, I I think so much of stand up and like uh, if we're going to say like the, the cliche term finding your voice, so much of finding your voice on stage, I think comedians forget is about finding your voice 
off stage as well. Yeah. If if you don't know who you are off stage, you're not going to know who you are on stage. Uh, and I was, you know, I wasn't a 350 pound comedian. I was a 350 pound person doing comedy, but that it, I didn't feel like myself. So running is helping me get down to more of a version that I feel like is myself. It's stripping away a lot of my anxieties, helping me work on myself. And I feel like the more work I'm putting on myself, I'm actually not finding a harder time on stage. I've had some heavy set comedians be like, dude, isn't it harder to get laughs now? And I kind of feel bad when I looked in the eyes and I'm like, if anything, I think I'm getting better laughs. I think I'm getting more genuine laughs. I feel more connected to crowds now because I feel more comfortable with them. Yeah. And I mean, I still can't look at a crowd. If you watch me on stage, I'll still be slightly <laughs> tilted off to the side and my eyes will be up or down. I'll never make yeah. eye contact with an audience member. <laughs> but like there's something about working on yourself off stage that seemingly makes things click everywhere. You know, when I started working on losing weight and getting healthier, I started writing jokes that I found funnier. I started hearing laughs that I thought were deeper. Yeah. I started noticing relationships in life get stronger. You know, I, I, I fell in love with my girlfriend, which is something that if I didn't put myself into a position to learn how to be happy, I don't think I would have done. So it's like it's realizing that maybe work off stage can actually help on stage. And I, I've told myself that a lot during this pandemic is say I'm not writing as much as I want. Or I'm like, well, you're also working on yourself in other avenues. And, and at the end of the day, it is all working towards the same goal. I'm getting followers now from running. I'm having article, you know, Runner's World did a great interview with me. I got a lot of followers oh, from that. Awesome. And it's, it's this interesting thing where at first I was like, it's a conflict. But now I'm like, well... If there are people who are going to find out about you through running, now stand-up's a bonus for them. Now you also have these people who know about you from stand-up, and now running's a bonus for them if they want. So it's like just giving people so many different options. If people want to learn about me as a runner, a stand-up, a stoner. You know, I just, I, I never wanted to be pigeonholed into one thing. And there was a period of time where I felt like people were just calling me a stoned comedian. And I was like, no, 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 I'm done with this. If that's what you want to label me as, how about I become an ultra endurance athlete too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Former baseball player, stoned comedian isn't, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the best brand for getting a bunch of followers. <laughs> exactly. And you know, and to just be called a stoner comedian, we're like, well, listen, I, like I was a college athlete. I was top I was a really good baseball player then I did stand up I did a lot of cool shit in stand up I lost all this like don't pigeonhole me into one thing I feel like I've done some cool shit you know and that's kind of how I wanted to live the life yeah and uh, it was just at the end of the day it was just all more focus on getting healthier and feeling happier and I kind of there were times where I put stand up on hold man when I was in LA I was doing stand up and then there were times I was coming back home where I would still let people in New York think I was in L.A. There was a whole year where people mm. in New York thought I was living in L.A. And I did that on purpose. There wow. are people who will think that's a stupid thing. You know, no, I, I wanted people to not know where I was so I could take time off from stand up and run and get healthy and work out and just and just try to find what made me happy again. I mean, good for you really and and from what it, it sounds worked, dude i was shocked at how many people fucking believed it I there believed were comics it. in la who thought i was living in new york <laughs> there are comics in new york who thought i was living in la and one because i was telling people that and two i was spending enough time in both places to where people were like well i did just see dan here a few weeks ago yeah <laughs> i was always within like a month or two of a visit so people would be like maybe he is you know i saw him a few weeks ago right and uh, and it was kind of just like a year of uncertainty and i'd pop up and people would be like good to see you but 
for me, I knew that's what I needed. I knew I needed less stand up and more of just a focus on on what is me again, because it's so easy to lose yourself in comedy, especially, you know, my whole story was getting successful quickly. You know, obviously got passed at the cellar two years in, which was absurd. And yeah. uh, once the seller stopped using me was when a lot of the weight gain kind of started and yep. solidified. And there was this moment where I was like, ah, oh, fuck, man, comedy was bringing me happiness. So I didn't care about my weight. And now that the happiness from comedy is no longer here, it's like I put all the eggs in this basket. Now I got to strengthen this basket, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting how you talk about it to me because it really just sounds like a lot of this is is confidence. And the fact that you just told me like, no, I do a lot of cool shit. Like I want people to know me for all of the cool shit I do like that. That's how I know you're not making this up. Like you really are feeling more confident than you were like when we met two years ago or whatever where you're oh my god and like for comedy, sure, comedy can give you the most confidence and it can also but like if you have right a confidence. bad stretch well yeah that too but if you have like a bad stretch of shows where it's like a month and you're just not doing so hot it's like man everything in your life is not going well so i like i think it's really smart honestly Fuck that you whole would take month of that man there'd be times where i'd be driving home from the city because i never lived in well, the city yeah. i lived in jersey if you have one real bad bomb and then you got to drive an hour and a half back home in that bomb by yourself dude that whole car ride <laughs> you're thinking what job am i applying for tomorrow yeah how am i quitting what is it gonna be <laughs> right yeah i mean it's it's fucking it could be fucking brutal but it's really just like it's like your jokes are one thing but at least what i learned and i figured this out kind of like right before the pandemic so i'm kind of mad that i never really get to use it it's just like if you go up there and you're just confident people even if they don't think you're funny necessarily like um there's a there's a comic that uh i brought like a group of my friends to and i was asking one of the girls uh or it was one of my shows that i brought my friends to i was asking one of the girls that came oh who is your favorite and she said oh i really like this other comic and that comic like objectively did the worst on the show like like of all the people that went up all like everyone kind of knew like she she did not have a good set but then my friend i was like oh really what how come you liked her set the most and she goes i don't know i just liked her energy and that was like it kind of hit me i was like oh fuck she went up there she was confident my friend was like oh i'd be friends with her i really enjoy her and that's how you get fans and it's frustrating as as a comic because you're you want to think it's all about like oh i gotta write this and like oh this is the best wordplay i've ever had so people are gonna love this it's like but if you actually just work on yourself like you're saying and you work on your confidence and you go up there and you're like no we're all gonna have a good time then people are going to enjoy it even if you're not david oh, Tell. for sure well it, it, it comes down to what you just said uh, the last night we're all going to enjoy it that's the mentality you have to go up. So many comics go up with the mentality, they're going to enjoy it. Yep. No, no, no. It's we're all going to enjoy it because if that crowd doesn't sense you enjoying it, they're not going to. I mean, the I, I remember just learning, smiling at a crowd, laughing, maybe giving yourself a giggle if you make yourself yeah. giggle up there. I mean, just seeming human is what makes your stand up like a different level. You know, working in some crowd work here, people could shit on crowd work all they want. If you can make that audience feel in the moment like they're going to go home and they receive something that night that no other audience is going to get, then you're going to have people coming back time and time again. Yeah. Like I tell people, I'm not famous. I don't have a big fan base, but 
when I go to Chicago, when I go to Philly, when I go to these cities I've been going to for the past five, six years, I know there's going to be faces there that I've seen the past four or five years because I've made them feel like we're all in it together. They leave knowing this is an experience for all of us and they come back and they remember the moments. I remember them. You know, if uh, there's people like Crowdwork two years ago in Philly, I remember the Crowdwork I told to them and I'll bring it up when I see them at the show now. Right. And it's like, it, it's this, uh, again, that's probably autism, just remembering everything, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, it's just this uh, comedy change for me when it stopped becoming about what it could do for me and it became what I could do for those who are there to see me whether it's three people at the Grizzly Pair or 300 people at Gotham what can I do for those people in that moment you know because we also we we've all been at a show where there's five people in the crowd every comic goes up and says a line about how few people are in the crowd and then one comic goes up says nothing and crushes those five people yeah and you're sitting in the back of the room like what a fucking idiot i am <laughs> that i went up there and talked about how few people were here and this guy just went up there and crushed because he acted like the room was full yeah and it's like that that's what it is is like i i had the wrong kind of confidence early in comedy and then it, it became like well what can i what can i do for comedy not what can comedy do for me and not about the TV sets and this shit. And that just became about kind of the human connection. And, that's, and that kind of is where I am as a person. That's, I think the weight loss came about because of that style of comedy. I just, the human connection was something that became really important to me. Interesting. Because it's the, the way you said that where it's like, oh, it's not it's not for me. It's for the comedy is is essentially the opposite of what you said earlier, which is just like the running is for me. Like I, I go out there and I accomplish this thing. And then when I go home at night, I lay in bed and I know that I did this thing where comedy wasn't giving that to you anymore. So it's just, it's interesting that you've kind of found this balance between like, all right, comedy is what I do for other people and running's what I do for myself. That's a very good point. And, uh, I've never even put that together myself, but I think a lot of that comes with one of the biggest issues with, with my, uh, autism uh, is um control if i feel like mm. i don't have control over a situation i i spiral i panic i have panic attacks uh, it's very hard for me to to not feel like i have some say over a situation yeah. so maybe that's that's what running is providing you know again and who knows the spectrum stuff like just because it's it's so hard to get the diagnosis you know i'm in therapy now with a behavioral therapist helping me work on some of the issues that stem from it but still getting like an actual th like paper to say you have ASD is so hard. Like if you're not diagnosed as a kid, the route as an adult is difficult. And it's just like trying to talk to people who have it to be like to try to learn from them. I go on forums and try to read forums. Right. Just because like the resources aren't there for an adult. It's, it's very weird. Interesting. Well, it sounds like and, and I'm, maybe I'm uh maybe i'm off a little bit but it sounds like it's your your whole journey is really just finding out more about yourself so even though like even though you say you don't really have the resources it sounds like you're you're handling it super well like being able to to talk about it and running like i don't know if you use running as like a way to think about it um Oh, for sure. I get a lot of my best thinking in running. I alternate <laughs> yeah. between music, podcasts, and then I'll just take the headphones off. And I run slower when the headphones are off, I think, but it's definitely, I'd say I run deeper. It's definitely more deep of thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, 
awesome i i really appreciate you coming on we're we're pretty much at time i guess i i got one question which is like kind of what what do you feel like you're you're getting into next or are you really just like i'm focused on this this 50 mile run or are you kind of like building up something else at the same time right now um there's a few things in my head i mean the november 1st 50 mile runs pretty big i'd like to start a podcast again i mean i had that one that i used to record inside a deli with jack and, he's, uh, he's been jack. on this a couple times yeah oh that's amazing yeah so we don't do it anymore you know the pandemic you can't really do a podcast inside right. a deli so i'm thinking about getting a new podcast started up where you know i the thing is like i don't know what the hell the fucking the catch is going to be i just want to talk to people but who knows yeah. uh that i i want to run in a hundred mile race that's definitely the big one that i mean i don't think i'm ever going to sleep uh, uh, you know in, in terms of the saying i'm not, I'm not going to sleep until i run in a hundred mile race uh i'd like to do another album i have shows at the end of this month in uh, uh zanies in october nice in chicago and there's part of me that's like it's indoors it's 50 percent capacity but i don't know when i'm gonna have a chance to run 45 minutes on five shows in a row again yeah so maybe i'll just pay someone to come out and record it put out another album uh i would like to eventually do a book i think that's been something that's been in my head for a while and nice. i just never knew what i'd write about and now that I, I have the weight loss and the ultra running and comedy and baseball, it's like, well, there's a story to tell. But it's just I think if I if whatever's next is just like you said, it's just my life is figuring out who I am and what I want to do. And I think that's what's next is just more of this finding it out because I still I, I don't know how to put it into words outside of I still don't feel like I'm there yet, if that makes sense. People are like, how do you feel about the weight loss? How do you feel mentally? I'm like, I'm good. But I'm not there yet. I, I still don't feel fully complete. And maybe I never will. But I want to keep searching for things that help me get there. Yeah. No, I, I think I truly think that's the best way to do it. I think um, as soon as at least for myself, as soon as I get to the point where I think like, oh, I'm done. That's where I am just giving myself an excuse to be lazy. So um, but I I, I everything that you just said sounds awesome uh and i'm i'm excited to see you do it man just like f keep a track of you on instagram on twitter like all those like i love your posts they're like they're super inspiring but also relatable at the same time and i know you're not even really doing it for that but it's just like it's so cool to watch and i Thank appreciate you, you I coming on posting, the podcast i hate posting running stuff online <laughs> i'm just starting to get used to it now it's like it's this weird balance where you're like there, there is this thing ingrained in you where you're like, I'm a comic and nothing more. Yeah. And that's such a dangerous thought. But like there's there's every day where I'll go to post. I'm like, but you're supposed to be funny. Why are you doing this? And it's like, nah, man, you know, there's, I won't lie. I mean, I get more DMs now than I've ever gotten in my life from people, not even about comedy. I used to get a few DMs here and there about comedy, but now at least, you know, three, four people a week are DM me about how they took their first run or they've lost 20 pounds and when I see that shit, I'm like, fuck, I got to keep this going. Whether comics keep shitting on me or not for posting the running stuff, there's a whole lot of people out there who are moving their feet because of these posts. So why not? That's awesome. All right. Uh, well, thank you again for doing this. Is there uh, someplace people can find you or follow you? Uh, I mean, you've got albums out, right? Yeah. I mean, they could listen to the last one if they'd like. It's called, uh, <laughs> fuck, the first album. So my first album is called Not Enough Pieces. And I, I thought, hated it. I, I was, thought it was good. I'm going to be honest. I listened to it, it was, probably two you know years what? ago. I thought it was, I thought it was good. <laughs> the material is very much a two year con. I mean, I was two years in that was the material, but 
the sound is great. I mean, the I I can't take that away from myself. The the set was incredible. It was one of the <laughs> hottest rooms. I definitely did really well, but the material is doesn't stand up for me. I mean, the first time I had ever done an hour was that recording. Oh, I wow. had a I notoriously had a sweat rag on stage, and inside the rag was my entire set list stapled. Wow! So I'd go to dap the sweat That's off my awesome. forehead and just look at the set list because I had never gone long before. <laughs> And then my second album was called Infect Me Once, which weirdly was named before the pandemic. Nice. And uh, that was recorded at Zany's in Rosemont, Illinois. That album I kind of like a good amount. But even now, like for me to go back and listen to those first two sets, it's like it's listening to a guy who wasn't me do stand up. Yeah. It's hard for me to listen to because I can't bring myself to those moments. So I would say follow me, Twitter, Instagram, at Dan Lamort. And then... uh that's about it. You know, that's where I put out the stuff that I like the most these days. If, if it's on there, it's something that I like. Awesome. Cool. Well, I will also put it in the uh, in the show notes. But thanks again for doing this, man. This was this was awesome. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. This was yep. so much fun. All right. Talk to you later.